Psalm 66, give ear to the reading of God's holy word. It says, To the choir master, a song, uh, a psalm, shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Uh, There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried out to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you have given us your word. You have even given us the Psalms, many of which are laments. You you give us songs in the Psalter here that enable us to sing and worship and pray to you no matter what our circumstances might be, even in time of trial and tribulation. And we ask once again that you would teach us your word this morning. Be with me as I speak. Be with us as we listen. May you uh, work in us by your spirit that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants here, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you can remember shouting for joy? Most of us don't shout very often at all. Uh, Maybe it was an election. Maybe it was a sporting event. I know in our house, uh, especially with me and the boys, depending what's happening, you may hear a shout. might be a good shout. might be a bad shout. The last two times my favorite teams won championships, uh, I had to refrain from shouting because we had little ones sleeping. First time it was uh, it was Ben and I was holding him and I had to give him to Rebecca. The second time Luke was asleep. Uh, most of us are probably much too reserved to shout of any kind of uh, happy time. We might you know pump our fist or something, but we don't often probably most of us shout. Well, Psalm sixty six is a psalm of praise, and it's not just a psalm of praise. It's a call to shout praise to God. That's what the psalmist is calling us to do in this psalm. In verses 1 through 4, look what he says there. He says, shout for joy to God, or make a joyful noise is where you get that. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. Say to God, remember when you sing, who are you singing to? 
not to your person next to you, your neighbor. It's sing, really, we're supposed to sing to God. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you, and they sing praises to your name. So our, our songs of praise to God, uh, we might not think about this very often. Again, we're often very reserved. We're Presbyterians after all. We don't get a lot of hand. But uh, our songs to God should be exuberant. They should be hearty. We should make it our practice to use the phrase, we should sing it like we mean it. You know, sound off when you when you sing. The psalmist in verse 1 calls upon, what does it say there? All the earth to shout for joy to God or make a joyful noise, as the King James puts it. And if our singing sounds a little bit like noise, maybe that's okay. We don't have to be good at singing to make a joyful noise. Maybe that's why the Bible puts it the way that it does. As long as it's joyful, a little noise isn't going to hurt anybody. The psalmist calls upon all the earth in verse 1 and all peoples in verse 8 to praise God and give glory to his name. And so you could say in a sense, a very real sense, that Psalm 66 is an evangelistic psalm. It's an evangelistic psalm because the unbelieving heart is unable, utterly unable to shout to God for joy. The begrudging acknowledgement of God's majesty from his enemies, the unrepentant, isn't what's being called for here. It's shouting to God for joy. And so the psalmist here in in Psalm 66 is looking forward to that great day when the fullness of God's elect will have been gathered into one to sing his praise. In fact, in verse 4, the ESV renders it in the present tense. It says, all the earth, present tense, worships you. And probably what is really intended here is a future tense. The way that the King James also puts it, where it says it like this, all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. That's what the Apostle John, we've been looking through Revelation in recent weeks and months, and in Revelation 7 Verses 9 through 12, the Apostle John is given a vision of heaven, a vision of this heavenly choir made up of all God's elect by his mercy. It says, After this, John says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, And what are they doing? It says, and crying out with a loud voice. They're shouting. They're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's a vision, but that's as close to what literal happening as you're going to find in Revelation. A, a, a multitude so big no one could number from all over the world, every nation, tribe, tongue, every kind of people standing before the throne, saved by God's grace. And what are they doing? Shouting praise for joy to God, making a joyful noise unto the Lord and unto the Lamb. They're crying out with a loud voice. Their praises to God and the Lamb uh, day and night. If you're a believer in Christ, that, that multitude is going to include you. 
one day you're going to be shouting praise to God and to the Lamb. So this is choir practice down here. You might as well get used to, to making a joyful noise down here because one day we're not going to be so reserved in heaven. Now the psalmist gives all the earth and all peoples, those who he calls to praise God, he gives us cause for praise. He doesn't just say, hey everybody, praise God, you know it's kind of a good thing to do. He gives us reasons. You and I need reasons. We need things to motivate us, to show us why we should do the things that we should do, especially even praising God. We probably don't think about that much. We come and we sing because we're supposed to sing. It's in the, it's in the bulletin. We're supposed to sing this hymn and this hymn, and so we do it. We color by the numbers. But we have reason to sing. We have reason to praise God and make a joyful noise. The psalmist doesn't give us a call. He doesn't call you to praise for no reason. But he gives us reason to do so. Our praise to God is not to be a mindless praise. There are a lot of mindless songs sung in our churches. But the psalmist doesn't tell us to praise God without cause. He gives us every reason to praise God. We, You and I, if you're a believer, we have every reason to shout for joy unto God if we take the time to think about those reasons that the Bible gives us for it. Now in our psalm here, the psalmist gives us not every reason, but a number of different reasons to praise God and make a joyful noise to Him. We are to first shout praise to God, verse 2, for the glory of His name. Because God is glorious. God is infinite in glory and majesty. We're also to shout praise to God for His awesome deeds, or in verses 3 and 5, the King James puts it, His terrible deeds. That sounds uncomfortable to our modern Sensibilities, but there's a reason it calls them terrible deeds. They're awe-inspiring. They get they they make us realize how powerful and majestic and holy God is. We should praise God according to Psalm 66 for His watchful, providential care for us in His church down through the years. God watches over us in all of our circumstances, and then lastly, He tells us that that to praise God for His care for us as individual Christians. In fact, the psalmist, what does he say? Come and hear all you, who, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Verse 16, he gives its testimony time. The psalmist was giving his testimony. Of this great psalm, Matthew Henry writes the following. He says, If we have learned in everything to give thanks for ancient and modern mercies, public and personal mercies, we shall know how to sing this psalm with grace and understanding. That's what this psalm is about. That's a great summary of this psalm, Psalm 66. It's a call to thank and praise God for ancient and modern mercies. In other words, what's one of the the things he talks about? The Exodus. It doesn't get much more ancient than that. But the psalmist, a lot, you know, many, many hundreds of years after the Exodus, says, hey, praise God for that act of power and mercy. And we were to praise God and thank Him for for personal mercies as well. Not just past mercies, but present mercies. Not just corporate mercies to God's church throughout history, but also to your personal mercies. The way that God has taken care of you as a believer in Christ all your days, even in time of trouble. These are all reasons that we have in abundance to praise God and to make a joyful noise to Him. So let's look through these, these reasons in the psalm. The first reason the psalmist gives you and I for praising God and making a joyful noise to him is his awesome deeds of past deliverance or his terrible deeds 
of past deliverance. In in verse 5, look what he says. Come and see. Now, we don't get to see, literally, but he's saying, you know, consider, look at what he's done. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome or terrible in his deeds toward the children of man. In other words, God's awesome deeds, the things he has done in history, and even in our day, are those things by which he makes the greatness of his power and majesty known. Now, these things include things that we might not often think about, like natural disasters, his judgments throughout history that come to pass through the outworking of his ordinary providence, or they can be supernatural acts. What's one of the things I keep wanting to say, David? The psalmist points us to explicitly in this psalm is the Exodus. That was no normal outworking of God's providence. That was a miraculous display of God's power and might in judgment upon the enemies of his people and how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now, what you and I often call natural disasters, when you watch the news, when like there's a hurricane right now back east, there's a, uh, a wildfire, a hurricane, a tornado, things like that, we often call them natural disasters. Well, though, even those kinds of things should cause it, for those, for those of us who fear God and believe in Jesus Christ, we above all people should look at those things and be reminded of the power of God. Now, you look at a hurricane or a tornado or some storm like that, you can't help but be impressed by the power. You can't help but be kind of in fear and in awe of that, yet that's a drop in the bucket. It's not even a drop in the bucket compared to God's great power and might. And it is God's, God, God is the one who did that. God is the one who sends those storms. To, to use the words that the psalmist says, we should view those things as seeing, quote, what God has done. Come and see what God has done. Think about what God has done. He's done even that. And among the awesome deeds the psalmist wants us to think about was God's mighty act of of mercy and deliverance in redeeming his people Israel from slavery in Egypt, where it says in the psalm, where he turned the sea into dry land and let his people pass through the river on foot. He's pointing us back to the Exodus. He's pointing us back to the conquering of the promised land in Canaan. The history of Israel is, is, he's saying, this is our history. This is what God has done for our people, and we should think about it and praise him for it and not forget these things. What was one of the first responses? If you know your book of Exodus, if you don't, read the book sometime, read through it, maybe this week, start to read through it, maybe this afternoon. What was one of the first responses of the people of Israel after their deliverance from slavery in the land of Egypt? They sang a song of praise to God. They sang what has come to be called the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. I thought about reading it as part of the sermon or as part of our scripture reading. It's rather long, so I won't do that this morning, but I'll leave that to your own reading. Exodus 15, 1 through 18. Well, what does that song do? It recounts, it recounts and praises God for his glorious triumph on behalf of his people as, quote, a man of war. Praising God because God, it says in verse 3, is a man of war for his people. Now, you know, think about songs. I'd be willing to bet that there are songs you've known since you were four or five years old that you could still recite and sing now. Maybe you don't even know you remember, but all of a sudden the tune comes on, or you hear it somewhere, and all of a sudden you're in your mind, you're thinking of the words. That's why God gives us songs. It's one of the reasons God gives us songs. It helps you to remember things that helps you even to recount God's acts of mercy in redeeming his people. That's what the song of Moses was for. 
There's no doubt they sang that song for years, maybe hundreds of years after the fact, to recount and remember God's mercies, his powerful mercies in redeeming them from slavery. Now, God's mighty act of deliverance, as we read this morning in the Ten Commandments, actually became one of the primary motivations for their obedience. And it's still one of the main motivations for our obedience to God's commandments. We read this every time we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We just read it this morning. Exodus 20, verse 2, what does it say? God himself says, we're told, I am the Lord your God who did what? Brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why does God bring that up? Did they forget that already? Was it? Did they forget that soon? No, remembrances of God's mercies in delivering us from sin and death are meant to stir us up to worship God and to obey him from the heart in all sincerity. That's how it's always been. That was true way back in the book of Exodus, and it's true in the New Testament as well. It's true on the, on the days we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What does Jesus say? Do this what? In remembrance of me. What does Paul say in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? It's really the same logic as Exodus 20. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by what? By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You may not have a temple to go to. You may not have animals to sacrifice anymore now that Christ has died, but we have spiritual worship. And what is it? It's not animal sacrifice. It's presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what's the basis for all of that? What's the motivation that Paul gives us for that tall order? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And what mercies is he talking about? I'm giving you a lot of homework this morning. Everything he said in Romans 1 through 11, everything he said in the first 11 chapters is a detailing, to us it seems extreme, but it's actually a Reader's Digest version, of, of the mercies of God in your salvation. Because It's like he's saying, because of everything I just told you, now here's what you do in response to that. Same as it was in the book of Exodus, same as it was and is in the New Testament age. Our motivation as believers for presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, your motivation for not being conformed to this world, which what do you have to do to be conformed to the world? Nothing. Nothing. What do you have to do to be not conformed to the world? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind according to God's word. What's the motivation for all that? The mercies of God. We have to remember and think upon God's mercies. If you think much of the mercies of God toward you in Jesus Christ, then and only then you will come to sing much of the mercies of God toward you in Jesus Christ, and only then will you be better prepared to live and serve our God. Notice the psalmist, when he talks about the exodus there in, in the first number of verses there, Look at verse 6. He says, there did we, not they. If you and I were writing this, we would have said they. He says, there did we rejoice in him. Was the psalmist there 
Is Psalm 66 from way back in Moses' day? No, in fact, it's probably, they think it's probably from after David's day. The psalmist wasn't there, but he writes as if we were because he's one. The people of God are one throughout the ages. He says, therefore, we, not they, we rejoice in him. God's redeemed in every age, even our own, are to understand that in some sense, in some ways, you and I too share in that act of redemption. That history is your history as well. It is certainly written down for our benefit. That's, you know, we recited the Nicene Creed this morning, and we're going to talk about it actually tonight, Lord willing. One of the things that we recite in those creeds is we say that we believe, we confess to believe in the Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church, there's one people of God throughout the world, throughout all time. God has one people, not two. That, that multitude in heaven isn't broken down into parts. It's one big choir from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And we also profess to believe in the communion of saints. Again, sharing in one body of Christ. That's why we are to we read the history of redemption. That's our history. That's your history. The history of God's mercies towards his people in Christ. That's why that's one of the reasons if you think about it when you read the book of Exodus, it's one of the reasons why every succeeding generation after that uh, was to celebrate the Passover. They didn't just have the Passover and then, you know, we'll write it down and we'll talk about it. They were commanded every year to celebrate and commemorate and remember the Passover as God's mercies towards not just the previous generation, but theirs as well. In the same way, every, every, uh, every Christian until Christ comes, we are told to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is the Christian Passover. Paul says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. And so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Same kind of thing. We share in what Christ has done for us those many years ago on the cross and in his resurrection. You and I weren't there, but because we are one with the people of God in every age, Israel being the church of God in the Old Testament, we too share in that common history of redemption. We should call it to mind. We should praise God for his great power and mercy in redeeming his people back then and in redeeming us from sin and death now in our day. Well, the second reason, the second reason the psalmist gives us in Psalm 66, the reason he gives us for praising God and making a joyful noise to him, is his present, not just the past mercies, but his present providential and watchful care over his people in verses 8 through 12. We are to bless our God and let the sound of his praise be heard, verse 8. Why? Because our God has, quote, kept our soul among the living and has not let our foot slip, verse 9. God has sustained us. God has kept our feet from slipping. How often throughout history and even in our day has God preserved his church, even this little church? How has God preserved his church by his mercies and kind providences? Now, this is not my strong suit, but I think this is one good reason among many to study church history. Church history is your history. It's our history. God's mercies to people like Martin Luther that we heard about a few weeks ago when Dr. Cass preached. That's not just some old story. That's your history. That's God maintaining his church, preserving his church, preserving his gospel through all that hell could throw at them. Martin Luther wasn't strong, but his God preserved him. 
He's preserved us and kept us from apostasy and scandal, and we should praise God for those things. He's kept his church going, and nothing shall prevail against it, not even the gates of hell. Notice that the psalmist would even have us praise God, and this is probably hard to hear, but look at what he says. He wants us to praise God even for his severe mercies in testing and chastising us. And how many of our modern praise choruses would even approach anything like that? Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, For you, and notice how many times he says you. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. He doesn't say, you know, God, you know these things happened, and, you know, I guess you let one slip. He says, you did this. Ultimately, who who brought that to pass? Whose will was it that that came to pass? Even these hard things, God, God's will. He says, you did all that. And then he says, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. That's a picture of the Exodus too. Did the Exodus happen by did, did slavery in Egypt happen by accident? Or was that part of God's decree and part of God's providential plan? But what did God do afterward? He brought them out. He got them through it. He tested them. He tried them. But he brought them out to a place of abundance. And he's done that throughout history. Sometimes God brings his people even you and me, into times of trial and affliction, but it's always for our good. It doesn't feel like it's for our good, but it's for our good. In those times, he tries us, what does he say, as silver is tried. And what do, you, what do you do when you try silver or precious metal that way? You remove the impurities. God is removing our impurities and sanctifying us by these trials. He's revealing, as the Bible says, that the genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, 1 Peter 1.7. According to the psalmist, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Bible here, even our trials are cause for praising God and blessing his name. Because God has his, our good in mind and his glory in mind. For and that's, that's a lot easier said than done. I don't know about you, I'll say for me, it, it does not come natural to me to praise God in time of trial, much less for those trials. And yet, what does the psalmist do? The psalmist lived in real life, didn't he? And he says, even these, these awful trials, you did that, and you did it for a reason, and you brought us through to a place of abundance. And that's what God always does for his people. That's often the case in this life. How often have you gone through a trial and come out the other side, and you've seen God's mercy in your life? through it. You've seen maybe sometimes in hindsight what God has done even through the trials he brings you through. He brought you to a place of abundance where you could still praise God. That's that's the case often in this life and it's always the case in the life to come. And so our God is to be praised. Think about this, even as Job Job could bless the name of the Lord after what he went through in Job one twenty one, And the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts could sing hymns in a Philippian jail, while he was in the stocks, as if being in jail wasn't bad enough. And what what was he doing? He was praying and singing hymns to God. If that's the case, even so, we must also learn to praise God in time of trial. Even in our trials, we have every reason to make a joyful noise to God. 
Well, last but not least, the psalmist teaches us here to make a joyful noise unto our God, not only for his care for the church corporately, but also for each one of us as individual believers personally. In verses 13 to 20, what the psalmist is giving us you know, is testimony time. He's giving us his own personal testimony of praise to God because God had heard and answered his prayers. He had, He wants us, he wants to exhort you and I to also trust in God and praise him ourselves for similar mercies in answer to our own prayers in times of trouble. And in those verses, notice how many times he says the word I. He says I and my multiple times. Now, we don't want to become narcissistic in our worship. You know, many modern praise choruses seem to say more about what we're going to say and what we're going to do than about what God has said and God has done. I won't ask you to do it right now, but look look at the back of this hymnal. I've noticed this a number of times, and look at the at the at the list in the back of the names of the songs, and I'll, I'll give you a hint. The ones that start with the word "I," it's the longest list in the whole hymnal. That should not be, but it shouldn't not be there at all. The psalmist says "I" many times, but he does so not for his own vain glory, but for God's glory. And the psalmist tells us what he's going to do. Notice what he does here. He, he doesn't do it the way we might do it. He doesn't say, here's what God did, and then here's what I did in response. He actually tells, it's like he can't contain himself. He tells us, here's what I'm going to do in response to what God did. And then he tells us what God, what God did. He says he was going to come into God's house with sacrifices and offerings and perform his vows to God. Verse 13. He had prayed to God in time of trouble. Have you ever done that? When, when haven't you done that? Right? He's prayed to God in time of trouble. And when he was doing that, he made vows to God. It sounds like a foxhole prayer. God, if you get me out of this, X, Y, and Z, I will, you know, change this. I will repent of this. I will start serving you all my days. Remember the story of Jonah we read over the last couple of weeks? Remember the pagan sailors? They did, they made vows to God. And God heard their prayer. Well, the psalmist says that he didn't just make vows to God, he's going to fulfill them. He didn't make a rash vow and then say, okay, now that I'm safe, forget about all that. I don't know what I was thinking. I had my fingers crossed, God, behind my back. No, he says he was going to fulfill his vows and make sacrifices in light of God's mercy and answering his prayers. Have, have you ever made a vow to God? You've, most of you, probably all of you have. Have you promised something to him in light of his kindness and mercy to you in Jesus Christ? Well, if that's the case, by, by God's grace, you should do everything in your power to keep those vows. Vows are not unbiblical. Paul made vows in the book of Acts and, and followed through and kept them. They're honoring to God as long as you go through with your part and do what you told God you would do. We live in a day when even professing Christians, many of whom make vows before God and before his church, and then casually disregard them as if they were nothing. Sadly, this goes for wedding vows. We've all known this to be the case in many instances. This goes for membership vows in the church. People make those vows, and they just toss them aside. It should not be. This goes for vows to serve God with our time, our talents, and our treasures. We make those vows, and then we just disregard them. That should not be so. You know, if we don't keep our vows to God out of gratitude for his great mercies towards us in Jesus Christ... Is it really any wonder that our praise is sometimes half-hearted and quiet and not as enthusiastic and exuberant as it ought to be? 
Now in verses 16 through 20, the psalmist gets around to telling us what God did for him. This is why he kept his vows. He says in verse 16, Come and hear all you who fear God. It's like he's on the street corner shouting it out for anybody who would listen. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God, truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. He cried out to God in prayer. You ever cry out to God in prayer? Like not being quiet and reserved, you just can't help yourself. And you cry out, God help me. And God does. He cried out with prayer and high praise was on his tongue. Prayer prayer and praise should go together. In fact, I would say praise is the fuel for prayer. Without that fuel, prayer is going to burn out. And this wasn't the prayer of the hypocrite, was it? Look at verse 18. This is a verse you maybe have heard and thought of before. He says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, what's he saying here? What's he not saying? The psalmist is not saying, God answered me because I'm a good person. Is that what he's saying? Everybody knows how good I am, and that's why God, you know, God was obliged to hear and to answer. That's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he wasn't a hypocrite. His religion was no play acting. Cherishing or regarding sin or iniquity in your heart is having no desire after repentance of your sins. And when that's the case, that makes the heavens as brass. You know, I've said years ago that uh, a man gave my dad a Bible and he wrote in the front something like, uh, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Well, the same thing goes with prayer. Either prayer will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from prayer. In many ways, that's the way prayer gets hindered by sin and hypocrisy. But You know, many hypocrites pray. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 6. Don't be like the hypocrites because they love to stand on the street corners and pray. They prayed, they prayed in public. They prayed out loud for show. And Jesus said they have their reward. What does that mean? They're not praying to God in the first place, so God's not answering them. Well, the hypocrite, the hypocrite wants out of his circumstances, but he doesn't want release from his sins. He wants to keep the sins in his heart, and be freed from the circumstances. Well, God doesn't hear that kind of a prayer. That kind of a prayer makes the heavens as brass and your prayers ineffective. You know, the Bible has a lot to say. We don't have time to go through it all this morning by any means, but the Bible has a lot to say about the many things that can hinder our prayers. But I have to think that hypocrisy and indulging in in known sin unrepentantly probably heads that list. That was the case in the book of Isaiah. The people were bringing their sacrifices and God told them, What is this trampling of my courts? He could not bear iniquity and solemn assembly, he says. Is something hindering your prayers? Is it possible that you're cherishing iniquity in your heart? Or do you hate your sin? Do you mourn over your sin? He's not saying, I hope you're not hearing it this way, he's not saying, if I had struggled with sin, he wouldn't have heard me. That's every believer. If you're a believer, you struggle with sin. But do you hate it because it's sin? Or do you cherish it in your heart? Do you hate your sin? Do you mourn over it and seek God's grace in Christ, the solid rock of which we sang earlier in the service? Only his blood and the cleansing water of his spirit, as that hymn says, the solid rock, are the double cure for our sin, cleansing us from his guilt 
and its power. That's what gives you confidence in prayer. Then you'll know that God will hear and answer, as Rob read in 1 John. And all that's by God's grace. Well, notice the psalmist, he doesn't take any credit. He doesn't say, I was a good guy, so God heard me. He says what? He says, he blesses God for his steadfast love toward him. He blesses God because God had not removed his steadfast love. It's his grace. It's his mercy towards him in Christ. May you and I learn to pray and praise our God for his great mercies towards us in Christ. May you and I be like the psalmist and learn to encourage each other in all of this as well by saying like he does in verse 16, Come and hear all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Why does he say that? He's not, he's not bragging. If he's bragging, he's boasting in the Lord, but he's saying, this is what God will do for you too. We have every reason to bless and praise our God, his great and awesome work of redeeming us from our sins and death by his death of his son and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his providential care for his church, and even for his manifold mercies towards us personally. All those things we should think about on an ongoing basis to give us cause for praise. If you and I would think more on these things, we won't find it very difficult to make a joyful noise unto our God through Jesus Christ. Amen.